I am here with Mr. Dash Dong Wong. We know each other from Elite Meet. Uh, he spent, was it 15 years in 15 naval, years. naval Special Operations, and he has one of the most compelling life stories I have ever heard. Dash, first off, I would love to know how you are doing. Are you healthy? Walk us through you, what you just went through. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm back up to 100. percent And uh, but uh, did definitely had a little scare there for the last couple of weeks. I got diagnosed with the uh, COVID 19 virus, and uh, reasons why that was so that was so uh, damning was I also had lung cancer in 2017. So I have my right lung removed, and then now I have a virus that attacks your lungs, and uh, so a lot of a lot of complications and troubles through that. But uh, you know, fought through it, had a lot of support from my wife as well as the nursing, nursing, nursing staff down Valley and, um, yeah, living and breathing and happy again. So what, what was it like? Um, like what were you going through emotionally, uh, through this process? And I think you were telling me before there was a moment when you kind of were sitting on the stairs and just kind of were re-examining. <laughs> we're getting things put into perspective pretty quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. Um, well, the, the hardest part in the beginning for the first seven days was I didn't know if I actually had the virus. Um, I went to the emergency room. Uh, they swabbed my brains where they stick these rods up your nose and kind of like a flu test or whatever. And uh, they said they were going to send it off. But because I'm young, I uh, didn't have a lot of interactions with the people that, that had the virus. I was at real low risk. Um, so they actually just sent me home. They, they kind of, I won't say lied, but they didn't tell me the truth. Uh, they didn't send those reports in. So five days going through the virus, I mean, fevers were intense, body aches were intense, um, a lot of chest pain. Uh, I called the hospital and asked for my results, and they said, oh, because you're such low risk, we didn't send it in. So now I'm like going through my head, do I have this virus? Do I just have a flu or cold? Do I quarantine myself in my room and stay away from everybody, which I already have? Um, but it was, there was a lot of uncertainty. And um, then I got to a point where I couldn't breathe. And I was sitting on my, my staircase with uh, convulsing coughs. And then the coughs got so bad that I started dry heaving a bunch. And I have lost 30 pounds. Um, and while I was sitting on that staircase, I was like, this is, you know, in the military, we, we, go, we call it the ABCs, airway, bleeding, and circulation. It's like I'm having a lot of difficulty with my airway and my breathing. So I better get to the ER. But I went the second time, they swabbed me, and within 24 hours, they said, yes, you have the virus, and you're at the most contagious part of the virus. So I can either admit myself to the ICU, or I can lock myself in my bedroom and stay away from family. And uh, I've already lived in the ICU going through cancer for over a month, and I said, I'm going to stay in my bedroom. <laughs> so um, that's where I stayed for the, the next six days. My wife brought me food into the room, and I have an oxygen machine. And uh, slowly started to get better. Um, but, yeah, it was scary. It was hard for me because in my mind, I always think that I'm just, I'm just, you know, like, I don't want to be that guy who thought he had the virus and was complaining about all this stuff and he just had a common cold. So once I got the di once I finally got it and they, said, they confirmed that I had the virus, I was like, all right, like, at least I know I'm going through it. And I was able to shift gears. But, uh, yeah, sitting on that staircase, I actually uh, – reevaluated re my will, made sure everything was in line for my family because I got one lung. So I was like, my chances of actually surviving the peak of the virus is pretty slim. But uh, yeah, we did it. <laughs> well, people need to hear this story because of 
um, you know, everything that you've been through recently and then doing that with one lung is insane. And it's, you know, it's a testament to willpower. It's a testament to just the frame of mind that you're in. I just like, what were you, was there like something going through your head that was maybe like a mantra or just how the hell did you get through this mentally? Or were you just like um, toasted and you're just like, couldn't even think of anything? No, uh, a lot, you know, my, my, my mind was clouded um, a lot because of the fevers, but I knew that if I had a respiratory illness, um, most important thing for me, especially in my condition was to check my pulse ox meter. There's a little clip that, that clips onto your finger. And I kept that on religiously all day. Uh, right when I woke up, I'd put it on and monitor my O2 saturation levels. Um, because I knew once it got below 87% um, of O2 going through my, my, my body, that uh, that was pretty critical. So I'm monitoring my airways or I'm monitoring my oxygen levels and then staying extremely hydrated. And um, the hardest thing for me to do is keep down food, but I was trying to control what I could control. Um, wasn't going to blow it out of comp- uh, proportion. Wasn't going to overreact or get super nervous, but control the things that I had in my hands that I could um, tangibly control. So monitor hydration, lots of rest, not overdoing things and then staying away from my family. And uh, I felt comfortable knowing that I had all this in line. Then it was just a matter of letting my body just fight this thing and uh, give it all the nutrients and support I could give it. Well, speaking of fighting things, like your whole life has just been this amazing story of overcoming odds and finding some way to push forward. Can you rewind and just kind of go back to the beginning and just tell us your life story? My life story. So uh, I got an interesting name. My name is Dash Dong Wong. That comes from um, from birth. I was act- my name was actually just a, a line on a birth certificate. Um, so the nurses actually nicknamed me uh, Dash. And uh, when my mom finally they finally got in touch with my mom, my mom left. My parents didn't want anything to do with me, and um, but you can't because I guess they are able to track her. I don't know how that works, but. Uh, she came back to the hospital, picked me up. And she's like, fine, your name is Dash. And uh, from then on, my entire childhood was just insane. My mom got into drugs. Um, we were homeless. I was raised in the streets uh, of Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, selling lays to tourists uh, at the age of five. And, um, <clears throat> but I, ne- I don't know. It was, it was a, it was, it's interesting when you're going through a, a life situation like that when you don't know any better. Uh, it's kind of just the cards you were dealt. I had a happy childhood, man. Like I was thrilled to go pick flowers all day and hang out and make lays and feel resourceful and, and feel like I'm giving back to my family. Like I didn't feel like it was doom and gloom and like, why is this happening to me? I was never, I never felt like a victim. Um, I always looked for ways to like support, like what can I do right now to help? And I was still a kid. So skateboarding, surfing, swimming, playing at the beach all day. I mean, I had a really good childhood, but, I it wasn't childhood that most kids had. Um, ended up getting arrested when I was 11 um, because of shoplifting, uh, basically for food. We didn't have any money, so um, got picked up by the cops. And then when they looked for, for my mom, my mom was already in jail. for uh, She got picked up for prostitution. So from there, I got put into Child Protective Services, um, and I got adopted by the Wongs. Um, <clears throat> 
in the Wong's adopted me when I was 13. Um, my father was a tattoo artist and my mother was a stay at home mom. She's Thai. And my foster father is uh, Chinese Japanese and um, strict. I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't know if, if it's, it's the same in your household, but academics, mathematics, uh, reading, like anything to do with school was everything to them. Um, and, you know, looking at my grades, they put them in every single after school program you could think of. So I started school in the fifth grade and um, I couldn't read very well i couldn't do i was at first grade level reading um couldn't do any math other than i knew how to count money really well <laughs> so um which, which helped me a, a ton but i was always i was so stoked to be wanted uh especially when i got adopted i felt like this place of belonging i had a family that actually cared about um my uh, how, how i grew as a man in life and wanted to give me all the tools to succeed so I wanted to prove to them, I, my entire life is always trying to prove to somebody that I was worthy. Like, I, I can do this. You just give me a chance. What do you want me to do? And it uh, felt really awesome to have this mentorship and, and guidance from uh, a father who loved me. And um, I ended up graduating high school with honors. Um, I had an Air Force Academy package signed by Congress and the governor of Hawaii to go to the Air Force. And um, I was 17. And lo and behold, I, uh, I wanted to get off the island as quick as possible, and I had to wait six months for the next uh, academy class. So I went with my, my surfing buddy to the uh, – he was, he was going to become a Navy SEAL. And I went, took the ASVAB with him, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'll join. And I ended up becoming a Navy SWIC. So, what, what is a SWIC? Uh, it stands for Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman. And uh, we're kind of like this uh, dirty riverine secret of the Navy. But we based our, our rates started on the, uh, the rivers of Vietnam and through all the river war warfare that went on. And our job was mainly to insert special uh, operation forces um, into harm's way and also be able to pull them off, uh, whether it's boats, driving vehicles, jet skis, you kind of name it. Unconve like There's a bunch of unconventional platforms that we can use, but our main job is to get guys to where they need to go. Um, and then provide them the security and safety on target and get them out of there as well. So, so, so the Naval Special Operations Boat Team. Yes. Awesome. Okay, let's go into that chapter. <laughs> what, walk us through some of the interesting parts of your 15-year military career. Um, well, of course, man. Like Everyone told, told me I wasn't going to make it, um, especially going through the schoolhouse. 17-year-old kid. Uh, it was the first time in 2006 that they opened up the rate to anybody that wanted it, like going through boot camp. Um, in order, normally, in order, in order to apply um, for a special forces program, you have to have some time in the Navy before you can um, ask to transfer into a rate. But no, they just said, hey, if you make it through training, here's, you get a signing bonus, and you know, you're in. So I was 126 pounds straight out of high school. Uh, little five six kid, and the guys I was competing against were these massive muscle heads and just uh, guys who were in the thirties or you know late twenties who've been through through so much in their lives. Um, so it was it was an interesting part for me, but I was so shocked to see like guys that I looked up to, um, especially going through training, that I kind of clung to for mentorship or guidance or or uh, just overall morale boosting to see them quit. It, it blew my mind because there was never – it wasn't an option for me. 
you know, like quitting. I didn't have X, Y, and Z. I didn't have life chapters. I have never had a job before, you know. These guys have been like police officers or firefighters or they've done things in their lives and they're like, this was something they want to try. This, was, this wasn't something I want to try. This was just it. I'm like, oh, this is what I have to do. These are the things I have to accomplish to get to Z. And um, so just to hear someone quit to me, like boggled my mind. Quitting was never an option. It was, it never, it was nothing I ever thought about. I couldn't just toss the cards and try something else. So when I saw these grown guys quit, I, I was like, there's, am I, there's no way I'm better than you. Like, you're older, you're wiser, you've been through so much. Why are you quitting? And they're like, I just don't like it. I'm uncomfortable or um, I'm just done with it. I'm at my, my peak limit. I can't take this anymore. And uh, I learned a lot through that, especially um, within myself, was that I don't I don't know. I just have this weird drive with me that if I do something, I'm going to follow it through to the end. If I don't make it, I'm going to find a way, even though I failed, I'm going to find a way to get back and succeed. So I actually had to go through the schoolhouse twice because I tore my ITB band on, on a beach run. And um, my leg locked out. I was unable to run for six months. And they were asking me like, is there another rate you want to do in the Navy? Like maybe this isn't for you. And I was like, no, yeah, I'll be fine. And I just got back on the horse and kept going and graduated top of my class. Um, spent six years in San Diego um, at a boat team there and then uh, transferred over to the East Coast to development group for the rest of my military career. So, yeah. What was it? Um, Jesus. You know, when you look back on the career, because you, when did you leave? Like a year or two ago? Last year. Uh, that, well, not even last year, last Thanksgiving. When you look back on that 15-year career, um, what are the things that you think are going to stay with you the rest of your life and how you approach life? Man. Um, I think a big thing that's, that's, that's sticking with me and it's kind of still developing into this new uh, transition out of the military is kind of interesting for, for all guys. But um, my military career it just really opened up my mind to the things that I was act I'm actually capable of. Um, like to put it in perspective, while I was growing up in Hawaii, I've never driven a boat, never shot a gun, never jumped out of an airplane. I've never done any of these things. And all of a sudden I have a notion of something I want to accomplish. And then I became the best of the world at it. So knowing that I was trainable and I had the motivation and drive to do something, it really, especially with my transition out, it shifted my focus onto, and Elite Meet was a, was a huge part of this, but it shifted my focus on not what I could do to provide for my family, but what I wanted to do. Because I could literally, I knew that if I put my mind and my drive to something, I will accomplish it. Even with failures and, and even with, with downfalls and things not working out, I've already been there on the beach, getting beat, getting wet and sandy, getting shot at, getting, you know, seeing guys not coming home just shifting that focus and understanding those same fundamentals that I learned in the Navy will help me drive and persevere to my next goal in life. So Talk that's, about your that's, transition. That you know, you're, you're now one of the three regional distributors for Killcliffe or regional distrib distribution managers. I think it is. Um, tell me about the path from getting out to where you're at. Cause you did a little bit of a detour. <laughs> you did a nationwide detour. <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of people tell me uh, before we get into it that they're like, your wife is a saint. Because I have a wife, I've got two beautiful boys, uh, three and five. They're like, I cannot believe your wife would, they're like, my wife would kill me if I put her through this. And the interesting notion is I, I was actually sitting in my living room and my wife came to me and she's like, let's sell everything. I want to, I think her name is like Marie Kondo or something. This lady who folds all her clothes really nice and like takes care of, gets all this, gets rid of all the stuff she doesn't want. My wife's watching this stuff on Netflix and she's like, I want to get rid of everything, sell it all. And I want to travel the country. And I was looking at my life and I was like, I literally got nothing going on. I'm not going to be able to afford my mortgage now. I'm not going to be able to afford like a lot of the payments and things we have going on because I'm getting kicked out of the military or medically retired. And I was like, you want to do it? Let's do it. And those seeds, I drew this on our dry erase board because of elite meat. And uh, I drew on our, our the dry erase board the three things that I loved and wanted to accomplish and triangulated, triangulated them into uh, one single mission statement that, that could help me focus and drive. Um, so the three things was a Volkswagen, uh, travel, and veterans. Um, because that's kind of like my identity, right? That's kind of like what I believe in, my hobbies, the things that um, I enjoy and that I'm good at. Um, so we came up with the idea going at Vay- going to VaynerMedia in New York, um, getting to hang out with that crew, understanding uh, distribution of content and social media tactics. And um, I was like, well, maybe this is something I can do. Like kind of like the, the, the drive of a social media influencer, even though nobody knows me. Um, but still, this, this sounds fun. Uh, now, now I can go across America with a mission. I'm not just going to go half-heartedly and travel across. I actually have something I can drive and accomplish. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it all got started. And so, and, you uh, know, when we're in that uh, room with uh, Jeff Nicholson from VaynerMedia, and, yeah. you know, walk us through that moment to hooking up with Killcliff, which they became your sponsor to go around the country interviewing veterans. Um, how did you land that sponsorship? Yeah. So, um, so it was interesting. I actually went to two elite meet events. I did the one in New York and that kind of planted this, the seed uh, and helped me build my mission statement for, for what I want to do. Um, was hanging out with the, with, with those guys, understanding all the tactics that they had. They even gave a, uh, I think through elite meet, I had a, like the 66 page PowerPoint that Gary V used to distribute content. And I just I mean, all day, I'm just swiping through this, these things, trying to understand all the different channels. I didn't even know what Twitter was. Like, I'm signing up for all these accounts. I don't know about short, short waveform content. Like, just trying to understand this new – it's like looking at a new weapon, right? Like, I've never shot this weapon system before. How do I learn it? So I'm going through the manuals. Um, I left there, and for three months, I, said, I, I started building this Volkswagen up. I started interviewing veterans learning new things with my iPhone, getting microphones to get audio a little bit better, doing all these, these things and started really enjoying it and then building some traction. And it wasn't until, I mean, I, I started building all these, these Facebook Live videos in my Volkswagen with veterans. And, um, but it really wasn't going anywhere, right? Yep. I think you're back. You okay, there? cool. Yeah, you're back. Um, so were you, okay. were you traveling the country doing this or is this like you're in virginia beach and you're interviewing veterans around virginia beach in your volkswagen yep that's it there's so many veteran uh brands and organizations in virginia beach 
Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a couple um, military bases, guys who got out, started uh, clothing lines, CrossFit gyms, um, like strike force, little energy packet companies, tactical gear companies. And basically I went on Google and I looked for every single veteran or uh, brand nonprofit organization in my area and just drove there. Uh, I would pr I'd call them, kind of prep them, ask them some questions. But my, my, uh, my biggest claim to fame was, look, this is live. Like the, that's what I want. And, and I said, this is for the veterans, but it's mainly for the service members who are in to help develop an idea or a plan for the transition out. That's what I'm looking to do. And if we do it live, it'll be raw, unedited, uncut, unscripted, so that the service member would have more connection to the video. Um, they're not, you know, they're not looking at, at things coming in or fancy. It's just two, two dudes hanging out in a Volkswagen, which I thought was yeah. pretty comical. Or Dash in a van. That's dash your, that's in a van. Yeah. Dash in a van. <laughs> um, so how did you, what was the connection to Kelcliffe? So um, fast forward four months of, or three and a half months of traveling around Virginia, um, Elite Meet gave me another call and you guys were doing an event in San Francisco. Um, I still didn't have a job. I'm driving around in a bus. Sometimes I'm living in folks and uh, parking lots in Walmart because there's, you know, I'm going out to West Virginia and driving around and I'm loving life. Like I'm having fun. You meeting all your these wife really cool people. and your two, and your two kids, two kids and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I, you know, I had all this content that I built and, um, and I guess the veterans that I was interviewing started talking to each other and kind of pinging uh, content around like, dude, yeah, this guy dashing in vans traveling around. And um, I don't know if you remember him. His name's Turk. Um, yeah, he's yeah, from the yeah. Navy. Yeah. Mike, Mike Turk. Yep. He's from the Navy. Yeah. Yep. He's from the Navy. We're in San Francisco and this is the best. This is the best part is keep trucking was there. I knew nothing about this organization. I don't know anything about job interviews. And they just start putting people on the spot and interviewing people. And I bombed my interview. Like, like the worst job interview. And I didn't know who was sitting in front of me, but um, what was his name? He did all the interviews. He's, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. And he just starts asking me questions while we're eating dinner. And I didn't realize what was going on with the dialogue that we had. You didn't realize it was an interview. <laughs> I had no idea. And he's asking me kind of, you know, like these be around the bush questions about like, what do you think about this? And, and how would you react to this scenario? And I'm kind of just sitting like, who is this dude? And I was like, well, this is what I would do. Like, or this is how I feel about that. And, um, and everybody else got job. Like we were in that elite meet room in the building, the skyscraper looking over the golden gate bridge and, and everyone started going into this, these keep trucking job interviews. And my name was the only one that never got called. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I blew it. I blew it. Like, came out to San Francisco. got this great new tech uh, company running up. And everyone's getting job And they're crushing it. And, you know, guys are getting, like, hired on the spot. Or, and uh, I was like, well, that sucks. Like, I don't know what's next. And I was like, what? I still got my van idea. I'm still going to run with it. And um, Mike Turk, or, you know, Turkenkoff came up to me. He's like, hey, have you heard of Killcliffe? And Mike Turk and, and um, um, John Timar, who's another prior SEAL, who's the COO of Killcliffe, um, have a really good relationship. Uh, I think they served as a team together. And uh, we were drinking Killcliffe there, and I was like, this is the first time I've ever had this drink. 
he's like, I'm seeing your, your vision. I'm showing him content and videos that I did. Yeah. Like I'm seeing your content. He's like, uh, but I'm, you know, maybe if you had a drink there, maybe if you had like a sponsor and, um, right after you said that, I went back up to the classroom and, um, do you remember ties.com Omar yep. said, so, no, well, I know. Yeah. Well. So Omar goes up and does a really great presentation about, um, startups and entrepreneurship. Um, and what I did that might've been a little different from a lot of the, uh, guys there, um, at Elite Me was I record or uh, video or audio recorded everything just because when I hear something, I don't really grab old stuff, but I can keep listening to it. And as, and at the very end of his, of his uh, thing, he asked the question, like, does anybody have an idea or something that they, you know, they want guidance on. And the room was silent, man. Like, you know, like we were, I think we're all kind of in that. I mean, you always would speak up and help you know run the dialogue like come on guys and uh something in me i just raised my hand i was like yeah i've got this volkswagen um i have this passion for vets uh i want to build a platform where i can help dudes and uh and then he looked at me he's like well, what do you need what do you need to move forward with it and i was like i need money <laughs> you know i need funding and uh jr uh, is it j henry williams or jr williams jr yeah ryan williams uh, yeah Right, yeah, Ryan Williams. I, that was it. I didn't know that that was going anywhere. I didn't really understand what he was offering. And so I kind of walked off. Adam Bolsick grabbed me by the shoulder. He's like, you need to go talk to, to, uh, to Williams. No, and, no, he's like, you need to go talk to, to Williams. Williams was waiting for me in the corner. And uh, he grabbed me by the shoulder. He's like, are you going to go over there and talk to him? And I was like, for what? He's like, what are you kidding me for what? He's offering help. And I was like, well, I don't know what to say. And he's like, we'll try it on me. So I was like, okay. I was like, hi, my name. You know, I went through this whole pitch, like horrible pitch, like horrible pitch. And he looked at me. He's like, that's not what you're going to say. That's not what you're <laughs> going to say at all. And I was like, yeah, 100 bucks or something. He's like, no, that's not how you're going to stage this. He's like, this is how much you're going to ask for. He's going to come back with a counteroffer, and then you're going to tell him what, you know, how you're going to support him and how, you guys can do this as a collab. It's not just him helping you out. It's you guys helping each other. And I was so nervous. I was like, okay, well, I'll try it. And I go up to Omar, present myself, repeat verbatim, like verbatim of what I just got coached. No more like shakes my hand. He's like, all right, hit me up on DM on Instagram after all this is over and we'll move forward with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just got my first sponsor. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> this is how it works. I was like, this is nuts. But um, lo and behold, like it didn't work out. There was a, I was so new. I didn't understand what I was doing. I don't know how to make uh, like promotional ads for other guys. Um, and it was a really good learning curve. The ask is so important, but you need to know what you're asking for. Like you need to understand what that person is giving you and how you're going to give something back. Those things weren't going through my head. Through your head like you it knew was, to ask for X amount of dollars, but what are you getting? You're going to get one post per week in this channel and I'm also going to have it on this. And even if that's like an imperfect proposal, at least it's something specific that they can mark up. Exactly. And I had none of it. I had an idea. I had a van and I was just doing something, but there was, you know, there's a give and take that you have to have uh, to build a relationship. Like when someone sponsors you, you're, you're, you're building a partnership with somebody and you got to find, you got to have a structured way to give back. Because if it's not structured, then it's all going to kind of fall apart. 
and it's going to kind of ru ruin your reputation, uh, especially if that person talks to you about to another company that you're trying to get a sponsorship through. And then, and then it gets really cloudy when you just look for all kinds of sponsorships, and then yeah. you don't it realize that people are competing. Yeah, and you don't realize like these companies don't work with these companies, or this is a competing company against another one. They're like, why would you come to me? Like you or are you just you have like, you know, Joe's Plumbing Supply with like you know, Goldman Sachs and like not exactly the same audience. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, round rob, round rob and how all this ties in together is um, I, I failed my pitch with, with ties.com and, and I'm, and I'm happy that I did because I learned so much about um, what I was asking for. And what I was really asking for was someone to take me under their wing and support me in what I was doing, but I didn't need money what I needed was coaching and I needed like the backing of somebody to be like, Hey, here's a couple of our mission sets that we kind of want hit. Maybe you can practice with your platform in X, Y, and Z meeting with a social media influencer, interviewing them, like meet these wickets and you know, we can support you in this little way. Like just, and that's what Killcliffe came in. And it was, it was such a blessing to, to get to sit down with John Timar. And the way all X, Y, and Z with, with VaynerMedia, with my pitch to Ties.com, with my meeting with Turk to Killcliffe was I had a 66-page Rolodex of how to distribute content that Killcliffe never had, and I could speak it knowledgeably. And that kind of blew him away. So I gave him something. I gave him tactics for their media and their, their outlet channels that they weren't doing through Vayner. And I, and I didn't make it look like it was me. Like, you know, I didn't hold all, all high and mighty like this is my – I gave them the, the Rolodex that, yeah, and it was online. It's free. It's open source. I was like, here. And then I spoke about it, and I went, this is how you distribute through all your channels. You guys do nothing on LinkedIn. And I was like, why don't, we, why don't we plug some content on LinkedIn? And John was like, oh, that's a great idea. Like, and, I, and he's like, go for it. I was like, no, it needs to come from you. Like, this needs to come from you because you're running the company, and you have a good following. And all the people who follow you are CEOs and executives of other companies. They're going to listen to what you're saying. If I post something, my channels are so small and minuscule, but if they're huge in the soft community, it's not going to get the traction that you're looking for. And uh, that was cool. And then they were asking me, and then they asked me, well, what can we do for you? And it was that same scenario that I sat down with Omar where I was like, oh, shit, what do I say? Like, what do I need? But I was, re I was a little bit more ready for it. And I said, you know, this is my mission. This is what I want to accomplish. Um, and this is kind of what I want out of it like i wanted to build a, a social media channel i wanted this huge following right i wanted to have like the million followers and everything and i said you know it'd be really valuable uh it was no cost to you guys but if you allowed me to utilize Killcliffe's network and influencers and interview them in my van i was like that would be huge i would i would really love that because it helped me build my brand which i didn't you know i didn't have anything but i was trying to build something and he's yeah, all about it. Like, yeah, he's like, oh yeah. And I was like, and I have this Volkswagen. And I was like, I was like, let's wrap it. Let's wrap it with Killcliffe. Uh, I can be a driving billboard across America for your company. Like everyone will see it in places it's never been. And he's like, he's like, yes. So I started portraying instead of instead of the ask, I started giving him things for his company. Starting, um, start with adding value first. Learn first. who they are get them to respect you and 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 uh, yeah it's just 
Oh God, it's so important, especially right now, I think in hard times when um, right now in hard times, it's so easy to focus on the sale because you have to feed the family and we have to do a transaction now. But that just because we're in hard times doesn't mean that relationships are less important. You have to start with building trust. And, and it's like, why should, why should, for pitching people, it's like, why should we be listening to you? Like, what have you done for me? Like we're, people are reaching out 50, times a day asking for something, but you came and you started by giving something. Yep. So what, so you got the van wrapped up with Killcliff and then you, Start driving around the country. Yeah. How, that's how many the, months did you drive around the country? Just shy of 10 months. So almost a year. And, um, and our campaign was to not only meet all of Killcliffe's uh, social media influencers and their affiliates, but to also go to uh, uh, do my mission was to go to veteran brands and, and organizations and just let them speak on my platform and redistribute content on Killcliffe's channel. And then also was to go to every single military uh, NEX or base that sold Killcliff. And I'd stage the van right outside. And I'm just really goal and focus driven. So my mission every time I got there was I'm going to sell every single can off the shelf. So and that's exactly what I did. We raised over raised over a million dollars that year for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Um, and we just crushed it across the country. So it was, it was, it was awesome. So what was the moment when you decided – Okay, enough. I should probably get in the house and out of the van. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm in Colorado now. Uh, we didn't actually make it all the way to the West Coast, but um, for, the, for those, of, uh, those who might watch this video, we're up in Aspen, and we're going over this, this road called Independence Pass, and it kind of drops into the back of Aspen. And as we did, the van started breaking down. Um, it started doing what I call making oil, where my coolant and my oil are mixing. <laughs> Uh, oil pressures going off the roof. So a lot of little problems with the van, especially going through the Rockies. And I have a three and a five-year-old and it's just rough. It, it's not like van life is nice. You get to camp, you get to go to cool places, but living is not easy. Like you have to come up with, with really resourceful ways of making space. And, and, um, and my kids weren't potty trained. So there was a lot of accidents that were happening and, no laundry, like no way to clean. So we're hanging sheets up on trees, you know, and about like month seven, I was like, dude, I'm getting a little like tired of this. And, um, so we started developing, like we'll do three days van, uh, four days Airbnb. And that was how we kind of rotated. It was like, we don't need, we know we're not, we're not home. We're not homeless. We're houseless. We sold our home. I was like, but you know, we still we could still afford to live in these Airbnbs, watch a little TV, get cleaned up, and it was a better better half and half of travel. But we just started getting tired, man, especially being parents. And I needed some stability and structure for raising the kids. Like there was no routine; it was so spontaneous. Like we're going to an aquarium. Here's a zoo. Here's a theme park. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we went to church on a Sunday out here, and uh, the very next day, my wife got a job position at the Christian Academy uh, teaching students. And at that time, we were kind of just parking the bus at a, uh, at a friend's house, and he took us up to a horse stall or a horse stable. He's like, you guys can stay at this horse stable all you want. Like, he didn't have horses. And uh, there was a water spigot there, and I was like, 
well, let's play this out. Let's kind of see how this this rolls out. And, uh, and you know, Amanda's job started getting better, but I was kind of in this – I had a sponsorship with Kill Cliff. There was, it wasn't monetary. Like, there was no money coming in, but I had a cool mission. I had support from a great company. Um, I just didn't have a – you know, I wanted to be – I wanted to be an employee. Like, I need to be – I need money, right? I need, I need some stability because I want to move out of the van and I want to get a little apartment or a house. So it was crazy. I started doing some interviews. Um, ranch, our property management is huge out here in the Valley. Um, Aspen through Carbondale. And said, like, well, I could definitely do that. A lot of hard labor. I got one lung though. So I, I still have medical complications. We're up in altitude. And I got three phone calls from three different uh, ranch managers um, accepting my resume and wanting me to start working the next week. And this was a Friday. This, they all called me on the same day on a Friday. And I was stoked. I was pumped because it came with it came with lodging, it came with salary, um, and uh, you know, so there's a lot of stability there. And my brain, I felt so much relief coming off my shoulders. Like we're out of the van. Like I, I can support the family. We got a roof over our heads. And then uh, the fourth phone call was John Timar from Kilcliff saying, "Dash in the van. We've got a position for you." Uh, and uh, that's when they started speaking to me about their distributor network that they were trying to build up. Um, and, uh, they asked me if I wanted it. So I had to sit that night. I said, I said, I learned something, uh, uh, especially throughout my years in the military is don't just jump on every opportunity that you have in front of you. Um, and I had the chance where my life is so you know slowed down that I could sit down with my wife, which I've never done in my military career. Um, I've always got an opportunity while I was going through and knew that it would progress my, my career in the military and took it, you know, like, Hey, uh, we have a deployment coming up. You have the skill sets we need. Will you go on that mission? Yes. It's like, okay. Like there was never a phone call like, hey, honey, like what do you think about this opportunity? <laughs> do you like, mind if I do this deployment? Yeah, do you mind? You know, they say <laughs> I, they really need our family me. schedule. <laughs> they, they, say, they say I would be a great asset. You know, I never had that luxury. But now I had four options on the table. So I sat down with my wife. And I said, here are the properties that want me to manage uh, or here are the, the property management positions. And then I saved, and I was like, and Killcliffe wants to hire me on full-time. And she's looked at me, and she's like, well, that's the easiest decision we ever made. She's like, you get to work with the Navy SEAL Foundation, give back to your guys, um, work with a cool company where it's, you know, you have a relationship with them. I was like, she's like, and you can grow, which was huge for me. I didn't see that, that side of the offer. She's like, you get a property management position. It's like, how are you going to scale that? How are you going to grow from it? You're stuck. And then... If anything goes haywire with it, you're living on their property in their house. And then you're going to be in the exact same position. It's like, yeah, you're right. So on Monday, uh, I signed on with Killcliffe full-time. That is an amazing life story. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing uh, life story. You know, I think there's so much to take away from this. You know, when you look at your first parts of your life, and just keeping a positive attitude. When you look at your military experience and just not having quit in the vocabulary, when you look at how you handled your transition and taking aggressive, imperfect action towards something that you knew met your mission set, um, how resourceful you were, your willingness to try things that are completely outside of the comfort zone 
even though you had no idea what you were doing on either social media or sponsorship. Um, and then also just, I, I think, you know, I'm, it's just, it, it's really timely right now to hear this particular story of uh, overcoming obstacles, um, whether people are going through their own health crisis, uh, loss of job, or just generally shits hitting the fan in their life. Um, you know, your story is inspiration to everyone. And I'm damn lucky to know you. Um, I'm like, my, my life is better because I know you. I really appreciate um, that we're friends, dude. I appreciate you saying that, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm.